You're listening to the Colonial Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast in Kingsport, Tennessee. We are a community committed to prayer, radical hospitality, and intentional invitation. The gospel lesson for today is from Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. And by way of introduction to this particular text, I will simply say, listen carefully. This is probably one of the most difficult of all passages in the New Testament. Jesus said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. And then the manager said to himself, what will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, how much do you owe the master? And he answered, a hundred jugs of olive oil. And he said, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 50. And then he asked another, and how much do you owe? And he replied, a hundred containers of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and make it 80. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And whoever is dishonest in little is dishonest also in much. If then you who have not been faithful with dishonest wealth Who will entrust you with true riches? And if you've not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This is the word of the Lord. Do you think Luke's given us some tough passages this year? Is there any harder one than this one? It's hard to look at this passage and say, what's going on here? Now, we understand that in the Gospels, and especially, I think, maybe in Luke's Gospel, things get said, statements by Jesus, parables by Jesus, and we understand we're not supposed to take them literally, okay? If we do, we will absolutely drive ourselves crazy because they won't make much sense. It's hard to be literalistic when you're in Luke. When Jesus speaks earlier about hating father and mother, we know that's not exactly what he means, and we learn to interpret that. There's hyperbolic language, hyperbole in the midst of all this. 
And yet I think today's is one of the hardest parables Jesus ever told. We are not surprised and we are not even, in fact, we're rather pleased that the master calls in the dishonest steward and is going to fire him. We say that's exactly what ought to happen. Haul him in, can him, get him out of here. The problem, of course, is that often, we'll not answer that today, but oftentimes the, the boss, the rich leader, is supposed to represent God. Boy, is this how we want God represented? Again, tough. Okay, you've heard the text. Did anybody hearing the text think about Wells Fargo this past couple of weeks? If you didn't, I don't know why. 3,500 people who've been canned for essentially opening accounts that nobody wanted. Upper management fires them. But it's been going on five years. Do we not think upper management knew it was going on? Come on. And now they've been given a little fine, $130 million, $187 million by the government. You know what they paid back to customers? About five million bucks. And the manager of this division is up for a $124 million bonus. You think something's rotten? Think that when you hear this text. Something doesn't make sense. And that's what today's parable seems to do. It seems to support dishonesty, double-dealing, shrewdness in this business. In short, it seems like it's all the things we've been told is wrong and all the things we don't want to do. But again, could it be that Jesus is using hyperbole to make us think differently? And then, of course, you come to the end of this particular passage after the parable, and it throws us headlong into stewardship. And that's where we are. No slave can serve two masters, for you'll either love one and hate the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. Yeah, the old translation said mammon. Well, mammon means wealth. We don't want to hear it, but of course it's true. And so at first glance, it looks like Jesus is commending dishonest practice. The guy's been caught. He knows he has been caught. And he's not quite sure what he's going to do about it, but he comes up with a scheme. And the scheme is this. I will reduce what is owed to my master, which is I'll cheat him one more time, in order to make friends out of all those people who owed him money. Now, there are lots of ways that commentators interpret this. I've looked at a bunch of them this week. And you know what? I don't think any of us got it right. I don't buy any of it. I think it's something else. Jesus says that the children of 
this age are more shrewd than the children of the light. We're supposed to be children of the light. The world out there is supposed to be more shrewd in the double dealing than we are. And so the implication is, is there something we can learn for, from those who are less than honest, less than forthright in the way they approach the world? And if there is, what would it be? Here is the guy who is willing to play fast and loose with everything. Why? Because he'll do anything to save his own skin. We've seen that before. Have you ever had to scramble for your life? Have you ever been in a situation when you knew, you stood on the edge of the crumbling cliff and you knew it's move now or die? You saw the car come careening around the corner and you moved or else. My suspicion is that all of us have had something like that. A few years ago, Karen and I were on one of our trips west, staying in a a cabin situation. Dave and Alda stayed there. And everybody was mostly gone, and so I decided I would take a hike by myself. I know you don't hike in the west by yourself. I was going to leave civilization at a cabin, walk across open pasture land with cows and horses, cross a little creek, and go up into the edge of the national forest that borders Teton Park. That ought to have been safe enough, right? So I do. And it's very nice. One of the great things is to be by yourself. When you're with people all the time, it's pretty wonderful to be by yourself. So I've walked maybe, I don't know, maybe half a mile, cross a little creek, and begin to climb out of the ranch land and up into the surrounding hills. I've gone maybe, I maybe climbed 100 feet, I'm not sure. And we're going through, I'm going through scrub trees and sage and high grasses, and I'm following a game trail. And as I come around a high hill, have you ever had the feeling that something's watching you? If you ever spent much time in the woods, you know what that means. You better pay attention to it. So I looked back over my shoulder, and about 150 yards away, up on the top of this hill, is a buffalo bull. By himself. That's the way they are this time of year. He's lying down, but he's big. And he can see me clearly, and the wind is in his favor, so I know he can smell me. So I take a step forward, and he stands up. I take another step forward and he takes a step toward me. Every step I take going forward down the trail, the bull buffalo comes a little closer. Now, his steps are about three times longer than my steps. So, you know, sometimes discretion really is the better part of valor. I knew not to run. So I turned around and literally walked back toward him. But he knew I was leaving. And as I went around the corner, you would say, with a little tree, he paused the ground a time or two and he lays down. As I said, sometimes discretion is the better part of valor. You will do whatever it takes to get out of that situation. And I decided I'd hike far enough that day.
<laughs> what other choice is there? We've all had those kind of situations. Maybe that's where we are in this parable. He's got to make a decision. It's not a very good decision from our way of thinking. It's a fraudulent decision, but you've got to make a decision. I think maybe that's the same instinct we see here. There is cunning and devious behavior, but it is to accomplish a point. You uncomfortable? I'm pretty uncomfortable with this so far. This is not really where I want sermons to go. You want good news this morning. I'm not finding a lot of good news here, but maybe, maybe we'll get to it. We'll see. See, this example sounded as strange to Jesus' first hearers, I think, as it does to us. It is, after all, about a scoundrel. A scoundrel who not only defrauds and gets away with it, but compounds it by the master commending him for, of all things. He doesn't throw himself on the mercy of the court. No, in for a penny, in for a pound. He's going to keep doing everything he can do to escape. Cutting deals. How troubling. So why does Jesus hold him up? Why does Jesus say that the owner commends him? Is it for shock? Is it for surprise for those of us who are hearing? Maybe. Maybe the story works the same way a metaphor works. A metaphor will take two things that seem to be opposite sides of the coin and bring them together. Maybe that's what's going on here. And we're just not attuned to hear. See, I think it really comes down to talking about commitment. And I think the key to understanding the metaphor is in what Jesus says. The children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their generation than are the children of the light. There are some things we can learn from that secular world out there about what? Well, could it be about how to be so committed that you'll do whatever it takes to accomplish the purpose? But us honest folks have a hard time with that. I mean, after all, we are bound by honor and decency and integrity. But the crooked guy is totally committed to advancing whatever it takes to protect himself. We're children of the light. We play it safe. We act prudently. We form church budgets. We try not to outspend church budgets. We're never extravagant. Well, unless, of course, we're being extravagant for our own pleasure. And then we can be pretty extravagant. Children of the light don't see themselves as being shrewd and cunning. We want to give people a fair break. We tend to be careful, cautious, deliberate, conscientious. And those are all good moral traits. They're the kinds of things that Scripture Supports. 
But if that's all there is to our way of thinking and acting as Christians, then I think we're missing something. The faith had better not be about just playing it safe. The faith had better be about total commitment. And see, I think that's what's going on here. The willingness to do whatever it is you believe God is asking, to step out on the limb of faith, to rush toward doing something that needs to be done, to scramble in love to where danger is. Jesus isn't commending and asking us to behave like the dishonest manager. We know that. Jesus is reminding us that if we cannot be trusted in the little things of life, and that's wealth and health and family, how are we going to get trusted in the big things of the kingdom of God? If we can't be trusted with the good things God has already given us, how are we supposed to be trusted with the eternal? And that's when Jesus says, the slave can't serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the other. You'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And that becomes the point that we pay attention to. In another place, Jesus puts it in a way that we find a little more acceptable. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as you love yourself. What's that about? Commitment. It's about being committed. It's abandoning oneself to God. Let's do a little biblical history. Think about Abraham and Sarah starting out from a place and traveling to a land they did not know. They didn't even know where they were going. No GPS, there goes the pen. No GPS, no anything else because they believed God was sending them there. Have you ever left one place for another because you knew God was sending you? Moved from one place to another, took on a new job, took on a new responsibility because you knew that God was behind it and you didn't know what it was going to look like and you didn't know how it was going to work, but you knew deep down inside that God said, go, and you went. See, I suspect you do. We're not willing to talk about those things much, but I know what that's like. And I suspect you have too. We want to be more prudent, more conscientious, more cautious. You remember Peter turns to Jesus when Jesus says, it's time for us to go to Jerusalem. And Peter says, if you go to Jerusalem, they're going to kill you. Don't go. And Jesus says, this is what I came to the earth for. Being prudent is not always the way of following God. But total commitment 
That's what we're talking about. We like good common sense. Sometimes there are things that are more important than common sense. And the truth is, we must sometimes be willing to commit ourselves to something that is bigger than we are and not count the cost about how we're going to get there. You know what's most scary about me saying something like that? Because somebody in here, maybe two or three of you, maybe the whole lot of you is saying, sounds like fanaticism to me. And Presbyterians are more scared of being fanatics than we are about wanting to be Christian. But you know what the difference is between a fanatic and a totally committed Christian? The fanatic is so intent on gaining the rewards here on, heaven, here on earth and later in heaven that they'll do anything. The committed Christian is not worried about the rewards here or later. The rewards are simply following Jesus. Because if we do that, the here and the later will take care of themselves. Our small group study, the title of today's sermon, Disciples Resist Greed. I don't know that this text is so much about greed. Maybe it is. Deep down inside, you see, I know enough about me and I probably know enough about most of you. We're all greedy someplace. We may be willing to give away most of what we have, but somewhere, something is so important to us that we won't touch that even for God. God wants us to give ourselves. That's what we've got. That's all we've got. When we do, we become more alive and more focused on being the people we're supposed to be in this world. And the next one will take care of itself. And the paradox is that such an attitude of abandonment of this world seems so scary. But my guess is it's the only way we ever really, truly find ourselves. You think that's the way to interpret this text? I don't know. Those of you in small groups will get another crack at it this week. Some of you tonight. Maybe... Sometimes we're not supposed to understand everything about the Scripture. Who said we had the mind of God? But here it is. What I do know is, is that we will lose the things we hold most tightly in our hand. And if we really want to keep them, the only thing we can do is let things go. Those of you who are old enough to have adult children understand exactly what that means. You can't keep them children forever. You open your hands and you let them fly. 
Maybe that's what this is about. Maybe it's about understanding where our deepest commitments really do lie. Yeah, it's a paradox. Maybe it's supposed to be. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Colonial Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. For more information about our faith community, visit us online at chpres.org.